Welcome back to the Mission Story Slam podcast, brought to you by PWP Video. I'm Michael Schweisheimer, the executive producer at PWP Video and Mission Story Slam. We started Mission Story Slam to share the stories of the organizations that we serve at PWP Video. Those include nonprofits, B corporations, triple bottom line companies, and sustainable organizations. People who are on a mission to make the world a better place. We gather at Yards Brewing in Philadelphia and pick the names of 10 storytellers out of a hat, and they compete for a $250 donation to their favorite nonprofit. The audience also selects a favorite story for a $100 donation. We videotape their stories for sharing on social media and with friends and supporters. This podcast is about the story behind those stories. What motivates someone to tell a story in front of an audience? How did they choose the story they were going to tell? And what was the experience like? And we get to learn about the storytellers themselves. Mission Story Slam 3 is just weeks away on Tuesday, April 23rd during Earth Week. So we're going to have an environmental theme. Our MC Chris Satulo has given us the theme of saving us from ourselves. The theme at the first Mission Story Slam was that moment. And our first place winner that night was Karen Singer, who is our guest today on the podcast. Karen is an artist and the principal and artistic director of Karen Singer Tile Works. She earned her Bachelor of Arts at Pitzer College in Claremont, California, and a Master of Fine Arts at the University of Pennsylvania. She did independent work in printmaking at Ecole de Beaux-Arts in Paris and was awarded an apprenticeship at the Moravian Pottery and Tile Works in Doylestown. I first met Karen through the Greater Philadelphia chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals because of her extensive work in the nonprofit sector creating donor walls and other donor recognition artworks. I also got to know her and her husband, Peter Handler, through their involvement in our community. She is very active in our shared neighborhood of Germantown, and I appreciate her inviting us into her studio here to record today. So thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast, Karen. My pleasure. The big thing I remember from that first Story Slam is that when you and Peter were coming out that night, I believe he was the one that was planning on telling his story around Citizens Climate Lobby and, and not you, correct? Correct. I had no plans to say anything. You know, it's a, I, I thought I'd really gotten to know you over the years through all the different ways we'd interacted, and uh, you really blew everyone in the audience away that night with the, a lot of bravery and sharing. So normally we, we often will just play clips from stories, but I, I just want to start this episode off by sharing the full story that you told us that night. So I'm Karen Singer. I am an artist. I um, make art that helps nonprofits um, thank their donors. And I'm here talking about Women in Transition, an organization that I really love, that I'm on the board of. I've been on the board about four years. And the reason I love this organization is that they saved my life. I, um, it's an organization that helps women who are dealing with domestic abuse and drug addiction. And although I didn't want to admit it, I was dealing with domestic abuse, and I was in complete denial because I wasn't who I thought people who deal with domestic abuse are. And it took my son acting out at preschool for me to realize that I had to do something about it. So there's a few different that moments in my story. One of them is when I actually called this organization, went in, went to a group, and all these women from different parts of the city and very different kinds of life experience, it felt like they were telling my story. And I realized that I'd been dissing myself 
Because when somebody's treating you in a way that you know you shouldn't accept, but you love that person, and you're so confused, you allow it to happen, you feel like, I'm a wuss. What's wrong with me that I allow this to happen? And when I heard these other people's stories, it was like I went, wow, this is a really, really hard thing that they are fighting. And I would never call any of them a wuss. So I am, from now on, never going to say that to myself. This is hard. It is hard work. And I'm just going to keep going. So through that process, I left that man. And I'm now married to an amazing man who is sitting back there. Who's the person who told you about Citizens Climate Lobby? <laughs> um, and I'm on the board of the organization that helped save my life. Um, and I get to talk about something that most people don't want to talk about. But I've been through enough of this. If I can help anybody face something going on in their life that they don't want to look at, I want to do that. And, and so I do this. And that moment of realizing that I had to stop dissing myself was really, really powerful for me. Thank you. So I do want to start by thanking you for talking about something that most people just don't want to talk about. And um, that story was really powerful, I think, for everyone who was there that night. So I don't remember, um, did, did I ask you to add your name for the, you know, put your name in the, in the hat for the second half? Or did, uh, did you volunteer because Chris Satulo was asking people? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Chris Satulo stood up and said, hey, We've got five volunteers, and we were hoping to have ten. And um, I mean, he—I I loved the way he said, "Look, so I know that some of you folks out—you know—that you folks out there all have a story in you. And when the break happens, we're going to be coming around twisting arms, you know, because we really need more stories here. So that put the idea in my head. Well, maybe I should think about this." And then as I was listening to the stories, I was sort of crafting in my head, wait, you know, I, I kind of knew that if I was going to tell something, it would be about women in transition. So I kind of, I think the theme really resonated for me. That's great. Um, that moment helped me focus on how to tell this. Um, so... As soon as the break happened, I just got up and went over to Robin and signed up because I knew if I didn't do it fast, I would um, have second thoughts. Yeah. So I did. And that's how it happened. I would not blame you if you'd had second thoughts, that's for sure. Um, so there weren't, there weren't like multiple stories going through your mind. It was definitely women in transition was the thing that came to mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. And to be fair... It's not the first time I have talked about it publicly. When you say you've talked about it publicly before, is it usually in the context of something related to women in transition, or had you, had you spoken about it in something where it's much more, much more open like that, like the Story Slam was? 
I think I realized at some point that um, this is an issue that is really hidden. And I don't have deep pockets. You know, I really care about this organization deeply. I believe they gave me the tools to save my life. That's a big deal to say. Oh, yeah. I got all the help I got from them for, you know, I paid nothing. And I, somewhere I figured out that, I mean, one thing about going through abuse for me is it kind of made me, it's like if I've gone through all that, I can handle things that might be super embarrassing for somebody else. Do you know? Um, it's kind of like, okay, done. Done, the, you know, I went through this. So talking about it, big deal. Um, I mean, I have, that being said, there are times that I have brought it up where I've had a weird reaction from somebody. So I try to be careful. I see one, one major thing I can do as a board member. I'm the only, so far, the only board member at Women in Transition who went through their program. Okay. I'm not going to get into what other people have experienced or not, but I felt like one thing I can do with this issue is own it. And I, you know, I don't look like what most people think, you know, a survivor of domestic abuse looks like. There's stereotypical ideas about that, which of course are wrong. And if you think about it, you know it's wrong. But when people don't talk about it, it's easy for, you know, all those kinds of ideas to just stay. So I have talked about it. I mean, the major time I did was um, there was a church that takes up a collection once a month for another organization. And someone within the congregation had suggested Women in Transition. And what this church likes to do is have someone from the organization talk for five minutes. I was asked to be that person. And I did that maybe six or eight months before this um, story slam happened. And I talked about, you know, a little bit about my experience. I mean, I mentioned that I'm a board member and I'm also someone who's been through this. And I had a great reaction from people from that. People started all kinds of conversations with me and they really seemed to appreciate that I had shared that. So that felt great. And it's just, that was the big, you know, the start. I've done a little bit of work along with domestic violence organizations. It often seems to be actually challenging to find someone who is ready to be open about their survivor story. I don't think it's very common. I think it's very, I think it's very special and, and brave, but I think it's, I don't know, is it something that you, have you met other people, other survivors who are willing to be kind of public like you are? I have met one woman who's a former police officer who does some speaking about this, and I think that's quite powerful. That's it for who I've personally met who's comfortable talking about it. Mm -hmm. Something that's come up since the story slam. Women in Transition has now, two years in a row, done an event in Germantown called Amplifying Our Voices, which is a poetry reading about issues around um, abuse and empowerment. That's right. I actually, and I, I attended that second one. So this is an event that was kind of my brainchild. It came about through me going to um, a poetry reading in Germantown and being really 
noticing that there were several people talking about in their poems things that, that clearly to me connected to these issues. And the people talking about it were a big range of ages from high school up. And I was really impressed. And then months later, I learned at a board meeting that Germantown is the part of the city that we get the most calls to our hotline from. And something said to me, whoa, that is strange. It's certainly not the poorest neighborhood. Do you know what I mean? It's that goes back to the that those even those things that I'm sure all of us can hold about we, what we think we know victims of domestic uh, violence look like. Yes, exactly. So those two things were in my head, and um, I raised this idea with Corinne uh, Liger Massini, who's the executive director. And she loved the idea, and somehow we pulled this together, um, and it's been a, a great success. We've had like 100-something people, including people who've never been at any Women in Transition events. And the poetry's been amazing. You can hear a pin drop. Yeah. And it's been a combination of named poets and then open mic. Well, this last year, the second year, I've been the introducing speaker, and I just tell a little background about how it came to be. So I did that this time, and as part of that, I say I'm a board member, and I'm a survivor, and I went through this program, and it made a huge difference for me. So I said that, whatever. I noticed at the later in the evening when I was, you know, coffee, dessert, yeah. talking to people, I noticed that many of the people who spoke, both the named poets and the Umpid Mike people had said, I'm a survivor. My mother's a survivor. Right. And I was talking to somebody, one of the people who read, and I don't even remember which person at this point. And I said, I noticed that, you know, I don't think I've heard people do that before. It didn't happen the first time. Hmm. And she said, well, I think that's because you started the whole evening out that way. She said, I wasn't planning to say that, but you made it safe for me. I remember walking home from that kind of stunned that, that this woman said, I made that possible. Well, you did. Oh, boy. Is that event coming, coming up coming, again it'll soon? It'll happen again in October. October. October is, is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So it will be an October thing. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to do it again. One of the lines from your story that really struck me was the line about being in complete denial because you weren't who you thought people who deal with domestic abuse are. And we've touched on it a little bit, but what, what does that mean to you? I don't think anybody wants to think about it so much, but I look like a little middle-class Jewish lady, you know? You do. Um, that's fine. Girl, lady, whatever. I'm in my 60s. I think there's this idea that people who are middle-class or upper-middle don't cope with this, and it's so wrong. I mean, it's so untrue. In, you know, my experience in groups with other people coping with this, I've been in groups with people who are teenagers through people in their 70s, probably 80s, from far northeast, south Philly, 
you know, fancy neighborhoods, people who clearly have considerable wealth. It's a big range. So within that vast range of people that are dealing with these issues, is, is denial a common problem for victims of abuse? One of the things that gets said a lot in the circles of people who work with this issue, DV as it's called, is that in a way when it becomes physical, it's easier to cope with. What that means is that it doesn't start with somebody hitting you. It starts with verbal stuff or psychological things where you kind of feel like, I mean, we all have times that somebody says something to us that we don't like. Right. And a lot of the time we just kind of go, oh, well, pick your battles kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody is putting you down over time a lot, if you're convinced that this person loves you, has your best interests at heart, is committed to you, you know, that the two of you are supposed to be together, whatever that means. Yeah. You just kind of go, okay, well, I guess that's just part of the deal here, you know? Or you go, what did I do that made this happen? That's a big one, okay? Oh, my gosh, this must have really upset so-and-so, so I better look at... And I'm not saying that you shouldn't look at that, but boundaries are hard. Mm-hmm. And when your boundaries get fuzzy and you you don't know what's okay and what's not okay and you have this weird feeling that i'm accepting treatment from someone that i shouldn't allow you know it's really complicated and i've committed what happens is this humongous confusion i sometimes describe it as not knowing what's down and what's up what's me and what's them feeling numb not knowing what I feel, being much more concerned with what someone else feels, that's a common thing. So frequently what happens, it, domestic abuse rarely starts with physical. It starts with verbal, psychological, things that are harder to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. When it becomes physical, it is easier to see. That's harder to deny. Yes. That's harder to have be fuzzy. Yes. Yeah, that makes... Little by little, something is changing, but it's so slow, you don't even see it until you go... Um, uh, you until, know. until you're already consumed. Yeah. And it's the self-doubt, the confusion is a huge part of the problem. You talked about making a connection from when your son started acting out in school. In preschool, yeah. That seems like a big connection to be able to make, that your son acting out in school was directly tied to that situation you were having. I don't really want to go into the specifics of what happened. What I can say is he was behaving in a way that was somewhat hurtful to another kid. And when the teacher talked to him about it, what came up was something that let me know that he was aware of what was happening, which I thought was being hidden from him. I was hiding stuff that was happening from my child. Thought I was. And I realized that it wasn't hidden. He might not see it directly, but he could feel it. So 
that said to me, I have to do something about this. I appreciate, thank you for sharing that. I was sort of wondering if, if you had made that leap yourself or if you had found Women in Transition first and started that journey. The head of the daycare, the person who, who talked to me about what was going on, gave me two names, Women Against Abuse and Women in Transition. And I called Women in Transition because I couldn't handle the idea that I was an abused woman. It's a lot in the name. Yeah. So I do want to ask how your son's doing today. He's doing great. He's in his 20s. He's studying abroad right now. He seems to be loving it. He's going to be graduating college really soon. And um, I couldn't be prouder of him. Can you give me a little bit about your journey from being at Women in Transition as a client to becoming a board member? I think I knew from early on that I wanted to give back in some way. Uh, this is the first time I've ever been a board member uh, anywhere. I think I'm in my fifth year, fourth or fifth, and I know that they were expanding the board and looking specifically for board members who, had, who could help in areas of marketing and development. And fundraising is something that my work is connected to. Yeah. I have been making things that help people fundraise for years, and I've learned a lot about the whole community of fundraising for nonprofits. So it's something that I feel comfortable, learned a lot from my clients over the years. And so I'm sharing some of that. And that seemed appropriate. I mean, if anybody said they wanted me to come in as a treasurer, I would be like, uh, forget it. That's totally not my area. You know, I'm not a lawyer. You know, there's all right. these different all, all areas of expertise things. that I'm like, I don't, I can't wear, not wearing that hat, not wearing this other hat. But those two felt appropriate to me. In your, in your story, you define Women in Transition as an organization that helps women who are dealing with domestic abuse and drug addiction. And yes. those are two big issues. Um, I'm not sure I've heard of a lot of groups that tackle them together. And I'm wondering, like, what are some of the programs and services that allows Women in Transition to, to do so much? Well, I believe, and I'm not sure I've got this straight, but I think that domestic violence has been the core focus since the organization was founded in 1971. I think what came out over the years is how frequently substance abuse became associated with domestic violence, either that the uh, abuser was using whatever or was pushing or that that was a way, I mean, it's a great way to avoid things. If you're in denial, being high is a great way to not look at stuff. Um, so I believe it came out of there, and it's something that we're looking at in terms of how can we better serve. You know, there are many organizations that work with people dealing with substance abuse. You know, and these days with this whole opioid crisis, it's changing constantly. I think it's been epidemic in many ways for a long time, but it's, you know, it's becoming more visible, in, again, in different populations. But I think that what, what's really going on with a lot of that is... Um, it's about denial and not feeling. No, and I think that's a lot of what I was responding to is that is taking what can you know easily be two massive issues, but finding that, that intersection where those two overlap and trying to provide services that address both together. I think mm -hmm. that's impressive. Is Women in Transition itself, is it a large organization? or? 
No, it's pretty small. I mean, there are, at this point, I think that in the 70s, in that time period, there were a lot of organizations like this that were founded all over the country, but they tend to be kind of on the small and scrappy side of nonprofits, yep. lean and mean kind of. But the organization has grown. We have a number of counselors. We now have somebody who's Spanish-speaking. You know, there are people with different specialties. We have um, a whole self-defense focus, and there are various groups that bring us in to teach what are called wave classes, self-defense. For a long time, we do, you know, speaking at high schools or different groups or set up a table in different places and, you know, a bunch of things in terms of, of um, spreading information in different ways. But there's a lot of things that the organization does. You know, I kind of, I know it intimately from my own connection. Um, I mean, they get people hotel rooms. You know, they help people who are physically moving and need to, you know, keep that secret from the abuser. We're talking, you know, bus tokens, help with cell phones for people who don't have them, legal counsel, all kinds of things. How, um, how can our listeners learn more about Women in Transition? Go to the website, which is helpwomen.org. It's a really great website. It's new, and it's really been beautifully designed. And there, there is a hotline that you can call. That's easy to find there, and you can talk to somebody who's been trained to help you get the services you need. One of the things I'm thinking about a lot is I seem to be talking to people who are trying to help someone in their lives who is coping with this, and that sense of impotence is really strong when you know someone, you can see them struggling, and you don't know what to do to help. And one of the things that comes up a lot is this question, why don't they just leave? Right. You know, I'd never let anybody do blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. I think there's a real need for education about how to help. Because telling somebody what they ought to do isn't going to... It's not very helpful. It's not. It's, it's the opposite of helpful. It really is. And... I think a big part of what this organization is all about is dealing with people where they are and accepting them where they are, then you move from there. If someone from hearing your story and what you're doing is motivated to act and get more involved, besides going to the website, what's a good first step to you? Is it, is it volunteering? Is it talking to someone? Sure. Volunteering, um, making an appointment to come talk to somebody. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a network of organizations around the country that help people dealing with this issue. Um, I mean, if you want to help with this, money's always a help. I mean, donate. Yes, it is. I think it's wonderful that I never had to pay a dime, and I got individual counseling, group counseling, a whole series of groups. And frankly, I've said this a few times, I have a, an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree. The, 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 the graduation that means the most to me in my life is graduating from this program at this little organization. My father was a philosophy professor at university. I remember him, I think I heard this later from the woman who was my counselor. He came up to her and he thanked her for giving him back his daughter. That's intense. Yeah. 
that's a that's an important graduation yeah i appreciate your being so open with this i think that it's important to talk about it and i'm glad to be able to give more time to talking about these issues so that people can be aware of them or people who might be experiencing things and aren't sure can start to become more attuned and i think that the isolation that so many of us feel with whatever we're coping with is finding a way through the isolation is one of the first steps to making progress with whatever it is to realize it's not just me it's not my fault you know and there's things i can do that's a huge help i think that when people feel when they internalize something that's going on that shouldn't be allowed to continue and they just hide it and they think it's their own problem, it festers. You know, it's like an infection that grows inside and doesn't see the light of day. To me, you shine a light on this and then you can start to see where it starts and stops and you can start to see a way to change your life where it seemed impossible. Um, and it's all little steps. You know, changing anything is generally a set of small steps and keeping at it through setbacks, through things that, you know, that feel impossible, where you just kind of keep picking yourself up again and moving forward. And the self-doubt is huge through anything like that. So to me, if I can help anybody realize that they're not crazy and this is not their fault and that there are other people who have gone through this and felt the way they do and that they don't need to feel this way forever, I want to help do that. My thanks to Karen Singer for sharing so much of herself with us on the Mission Story Slam podcast. She continues to work with Women in Transition, and you can find out more about their mission at helpwomen.org. You can see some of Karen Singer's gorgeous ceramic tile art on her website, karensinger.com, K-A-R-E-N-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Her Germantown, Philadelphia studio is open to the public by appointment. Karen has created magnificent donor appreciation walls for many nonprofits, and they really are something to see. Karen's work has helped those nonprofits raise additional funds for their continuing missions. She also does beautiful tile mosaics for homes and businesses, and of course you can see samples on her website. Karen's also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you can get details about her upcoming ceramic workshops or contact her about setting up a workshop for kids, seniors, corporate team building, and more. Ask about her new program, Ceramic Coaching, where she helps you through the process of designing and creating a ceramic project of your own. We'll include all the links we mentioned on the show on MissionStorySlam.org. Mission Story Slam 3 is coming up on April 23rd at Yards Brewing in Philadelphia. Doors open at 6. Storytelling starts at 7. So come out and share the story of your environmental mission. As part of Green Week in Philly, our theme is Saving Us from Ourselves. If you enjoy the Mission Story Slam podcast, please leave reviews for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that others can find us as well. Follow us in all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and join our mailing list on the website for updates on tickets and podcasts and everything Mission Story Slam. This podcast is produced by Dave Winston and brought to you by PWP Video. We are Video with a Mission. 
Find out what we're all about at pwpvideo.com. Our next guest on the Mission Story Slam podcast will be a storyteller from Mission Story Slam 3. So join us on April 23rd, and maybe that guest will be you. Until then, I'm Michael Schweisheimer, and I look forward to sharing the next story behind the story with you soon. <laughs>